0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. So I'm super excited about today's episode. I have actually, Matthew Frey has been on my wish list for podcast guests for a really long time. And I was a little bit of a fangirl, uh, talking to him, uh, today. So Matthew Frey came into my sphere when he wrote back in 2016, I think he wrote a blog post called he, she divorced me because I left the dishes by the sink. And I think that a lot of you guys have uh, read this because I've shared it a bunch, and I know a lot of you have also shared it in my Facebook group. And so Matt has just written a book called This Is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. And it is out now, and I think you should all buy it. If you know anything um, about Matt and you've ever been to his blog, uh, which is called Must Be This Tall to Ride. Uh, you know that his style is irreverent and funny, and he is just an all-around fabulous guy. And so I'm super excited to have him uh, on the podcast today. But before we get into my interview with Matt, I just want to tell you one quick thing, which is normally, I think most of you know, I don't do one-off coaching sessions I have a coaching package, but for the month of months of May and June, I am actually going to be opening up my calendar to one-off coaching sessions. Um, these are I call them sanity saver sessions, and sanity saver sessions until to, until today have been reserved for people who are in some of my online programs and who need another, a little like boost of, of help or have specific questions based on the work that they're doing in uh, my programs. But, so I literally, this is not something that anyone that in the general public has ever been able to book. Um, but for May and June, I'm actually going to be opening them up before I sort of shut down for the summer. July and August, I'm taking off so that I can focus on writing my book um, because it's due in September. <laughs> so I got to take some time off. So, if you want to book a sanity saver session, you can do that. There will be a link in the show notes to do that. If you have sanity saver sessions are really for like one specific issue that you're dealing with and if you each should have a specific question or just sort of tell me your general story and I will help you navigate what the next steps are, create a plan for okay, this is the conversation and this is how you should have it or yeah, but I think that you should ha- you know, make sure you have this you know, her kind of person on your team, or you know, or yes, this is abuse. and this is how you should deal with that or any number of things, right? Um I, I've had clients call me to figure out how to navigate their narcissistic ex and introducing the his new girlfriend, and you know, what is her business and what is not her business, and what can she say and not say about this to the kids, how to have these conversations with the kids all of that. So if there's anything that you're like, God, I just wish that I could just have an hour of Kate on the phone, one-on-one, this is it. You can do it. You can do this now. So Sanity Saver Sessions are uh, available now in the show notes on my website. Um, I think if you go to my private coaching page, you will be able to find a link to book uh, a Sanity Saver Session. and. That's enough of that. So, all right. Matthew Frey, he's a relationship coach and a writer who leans on the lessons of his failed marriage and divorce to help others avoid making the same mistakes that he did. His writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Sunday Times, the Huffington Post, Babble, and many more. His blog, Must Be This Tall to Ride, has a dedicated following and has reached millions of readers. And like I said, I just adore this guy. I think his voice is so important in this world, in this um, in this sphere, um, and I want everyone to read his book. Um, men, if you are listening, please buy this book. It is so 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 good. All right. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Matthew Frey. Matt, thank you so so much for being here. I'm I'm like you know, I'm having a little fangirl moment with you because I have loved your work for so many years. So I am so excited to have you on. Thank you for being here.
1: Exceedingly flattering introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm really happy to be here. I'm so grateful for your time.
0: We haven't started, but let's back up to (laughs) your now very viral blog post. That's where this started, right? The title of the blog post was, she divorced me because I put the dishes near the sink. What was it? Is that what what was it called?
1: It's she divorced me because I left dishes by the sink
0: for people who have not read this, which I don't know how you follow me and have not read this, but for people who have not. What was the sort of main theme and assertion that you were the the
1: thesis of this blog post? Um, The way that I think about it today, I, I think it's even more refined than the way that I wrote it. I think that I see it more clearly today than in January 2016 when I wrote it. Uh, the what i say now is it's an article that i think invites conversation about what is allowed to matter to somebody else i think in relationships there's a huge discrepancy between the different people's sort of values and their preferences and the things that affect them and so you know it's my belief today that we accidentally hurt people that we don't like do a bunch of awful things i don't think there's any mystery why people who do awful things get left they don't have successful relationships, but I do right. think there's a lot of confusion and a lot of hurt feelings around the idea of I'm a good person and I genuinely loved them and they left anyway. And it always seemed like they were sort of like unfairly accusing me of hurting them or criticizing or whatever. And I just think the dish by the sink conversation serves somewhat metaphorically in my life. I mean, I did literally do this one drinking glass by the sink, but I assure you the conversation around dishes was not. Uh, one of the primary pain points in the relationship. And I love reading people in social media and, and, and like internet comments saying, oh, there had to be more going on. And it's like, I'm really impressed <laughs> with their detective skills to infer that. <laughs> it's really clever of them. Yeah, I hope so. Right. Because so my poor ex-wife gets so much shit from like a bunch of people that like, oh my God, that petty, like, like oh, wow. you're better off without her. I get that feedback a lot. Like, How? not most of the time, but enough over the years where I'm like, my God, I end up defending her so much in the comments, just because I have to. I like her. Right. Right? He's my son's mother. Like, I mean, right, we talk sure. multiple times a day. Multiple I mean, times. Nah, times a that's day, not exactly. true. Multiple times every other day right, when we're doing yeah. like sending them back and forth, so to speak. Um, yeah, I don't like strangers like giving a shit on the internet, especially when they don't know what they're talking about. So she wasn't some freak who freaked out about a dish, right? It was like a piece of evidence that I was always going to choose what I want and what I thought and what I felt over what she wanted and what she thought and what she felt. That thematically is the condition that ends so many relationships. And the dish is a piece of evidence that I'm always going to win over her. And so she gets stuck either having to subject herself to my bullshit for the rest of her life or she has to leave. That's the position they put her in. And that's the position so many romantic partners in the most accurate way possible. I think women and and, and heterosexual relationships find themselves in this situation. It's not always women, but it sure is the vast majority of the time. And I just think to be intellectually honest, we have to own that.
0: Well, okay. So let's talk about that. So you have a chapter in your book called Marriage and the Man Card, right? And to me, it's a chapter kind of about male identity, like what is it to be a man, right? And um, and I think it and I think it this does tie into why this is a cis hetero relationship issue, right? You and I are very similar in that we are you know very very cognizant of the, you know there are tons of other relationship structures and dynamics. and there is something specific about this cis hetero relationship dynamic. Can you sort of talk a little bit about what that is and how this, how, the, how male identity kind of plays into that?
1: Yeah. But I'd like to talk to make it granular about me because they don't like to sound like, I think I'm some like sociology experts. I'm really not. Okay. I'm really great. not, but I okay. trust people to extrapolate because mm-hmm. people are smart. I grew up in a little town of 20,000 people and rural Ohio. And it wasn't, we were surrounded by rural. I don't know. It was a little town. It was a little mm-hmm. city. Right. Okay. I think that everybody from a major city would call it rural, certainly. It was an environment in which boys played football and wore blue instead of pink, and where you made homophobic slurs routinely as like an insult to other people, or or the um the 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 idea of like doing things like a girl being a yeah. bad thing. Right. Okay. I mean you've heard mm-hmm. that before. Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. Playing like a girl, or you're acting like a girl, and that was so just all the time in my world. I didn't even know it was bad to do that. I didn't. I didn't have any. I didn't harbor any will ill will toward anybody. Yeah. Not not people of different skin color. Not gay people. Not women. And yet, yet, because I'm a product of that environment, and I don't want to blame other people for my bullshit. But I, I didn't know how to notice how a failure to accommodate like other people's experiences and to really understand what like the lived experience of a woman might be in a similar situation that mine. For example, walking through a dimly lit parking garage can be a radically different experience for a single woman by herself versus a single, and I don't mean relationship-wise, just solo, yeah, like right. walking yeah, alone. Right. Yeah. And 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 I think everybody listening gets that. Right. Getting pulled over by a police police officer for going 10 over can be a radically different experience for me than an African-American teenager, for example, or at least Mm -hmm. that's not true. I don't mean to say that. I mean, their fear factor could be radically different than Mm -hmm. mine because I'm not worried about it at all. I'm fine. I just hold my, I know I would put my hands on the steering wheel and I know everything's going to be fine. And not everybody has that luxury. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I, I had such a blindness to how people that weren't like me experience different things in this world different. And 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 that that trickled down, that snowballed to conversations around a dish by the sink. And so if like my wife doesn't like the dish by the sink, or she doesn't like the pe the, the pair of jeans that I throw on this piece of furniture in our bedroom, just because it's like they weren't dirty enough. And so I just they weren't right. I didn't want to like put them back in the closet on the like, on the hanger. So like, can I just put them? She just like was really frustrated about it. And she'd ask me frankly, politely, and she'd offer me like a really simple solution. And she couldn't trust me to do it. She'd still walk up there sometimes, and I'd do it sometimes, but sometimes I wouldn't. And and every time she walked up there and found the jeans, every time she walked in the kitchen and found the dish, it was a reminder, it was evidence that I would choose me over her. And yes, at the root of it, I think was this sort of like man-woman thing a little bit. How like you talk? I don't know. No, you do know. But I, I think there might have been this sort of inherent disrespect. And in, I thought it was bullshit that you could feel hurt because right. of a dish or because of a pair of jeans. And I associated that with weakness. And I think maybe on some subconscious level with femininity, which isn't okay, which isn't okay. I'm embarrassed saying that out loud, but I'm I, I, that may well, very well have been a factor.
0: Sure. Well, and I think it's also, you know, like, the other thing that you're, that men, I think are conditioned by is that if you, if you acknowledge your wife's or girlfriends or whatever request, then you're whipped. <laughs> right. So yeah. then you're, then yeah, you're, you're pussy are. whipped. And of so, course. right. You're and not. so that's gotta go. That's gotta be a piece of that.
1: Yeah. You're a simp. You're
0: right. A right. Exactly. Boy. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it's fascinating. Oh, I've been called those things in comments. Oh, wow. um and I just think the nuance is so lost on these guys I mean I just don't think that that's true at all and I also don't think and no. you go ahead and and reframe this anytime you think I'm not saying it correctly but I don't believe that in this heteronormative you know cis hetero relationship that our wives or girlfriends are trying to get us to be people who conform and do what they want I, I don't think that at all I don't think failing to do what our partners quote unquote want us to do all the time is the condition that ends relationships. I think that requests for help requests to eliminate a pain point in a relationship is the thing that gets like rejected. And even if their partners aren't trying to reject it, I think that most people's relationship partners truly want their partner to feel loved and to feel as if you can count on me when you need something to show up for you. But the math result of, I need you to show up for me about this dish and me saying, that's insane to elevate a dish to a relationship problem. I want to leave it there. And I have a good reason for wanting to leave it there or whatever, just whatever, whatever stupid thing like people argue about it. To me, it is an erosion of trust because over time, when that's like the default and that's what always happens. When I go to my partner to try to communicate something's wrong, and he or she, but usually he is like, no, I believe something different. I feel something different, or I can justify the actions I just took. Those Mm -hmm. are the three ways I think we habitually respond to people, and they're very honest responses. But I think we fail to calculate for the invalidation the other person experiences in, in that moment. And that over time, over many years, the narrative that forms this like statistical data sample that tells the story of, When I'm hurt because of something my partner doesn't think I should be hurt about, and I recruit them to try to like change this pain point for me, it always results in being told that I'm dumb or weak or that they're justified and that they're not in any way going to change anything. And that's the story of shit relationships, I believe. And it doesn't happen in week one or month one or year one. It happens like after many months and many years together. And we don't recognize it because we're young and cuter and like, right? Like innocent. I mean, not mm-hmm. like physically cuter. We don't think it's going to be a problem. Yeah. We just don't think it's going to be a problem. It just seems like another teenage young adult fight or argument, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's fine. Adults should be allowed to have like healthy disagreements about things. And when you categorize something as healthy disagreement, when it's actually eroding trust that will destroy love and intimacy five, 10 years from now. It's a really dangerous miscalculation. And that's what I think people do. And I think
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yep. men
1: do this to women, I think, at a higher clip than any demo does it to any other demo.
0: Yeah. And you call this, you have sort of coined this as the the invalidation triple threat, right? Those yeah, three, just, those three things.
1: The three distinct yeah. ways we mm-hmm. invalidate people when we disagree with them. And once again, it's like we we challenge. What they believe, their intellectual experience, or we challenge what they feel, their emotional experience. We think that they're overreacting, that they're responding unfairly to something that we don't think is that big of a deal. or we just simply defend ourselves. And once again, a, a loving human can do those three things. It's not this manipulative, gross, I'm trying to like belittle, invalidate, gaslight, negate, minimize, I'm not trying to do any of that, but I think the math result sure feels like it. Right. I think it can feel like being married to a narcissist.
0: Yes. And I think that this is, so, I think this is so important because in my work and I work mostly with women, you know, everyone's divorcing a narcissist, everyone. <laughs> sure. And, you know, statistically that is not true.
1: <laughs> like, what is it 5% impossible. of the population's narcissistic? Approximately, yeah. I think, uh, something like of-
0: that. Yeah. And then, and also like, there's a spectrum of narcissism, right? So there's like, there's just normal narcissism. There's, there's more malignant narcissism and then there's narcissistic personality disorder, which is a whole other thing. Right. And so it is statistically impossible that everybody in the world (laughs) is divorcing a narcissist, but it is statistically, I think far more accurate to say that women are, 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 divorcing men who are not understanding this you know death by a thousand paper cuts that is happening when we say, can you please put the dishes in the dishwasher not next to the sink and he invalidates our request and this is you know this is and this also goes to the the gender inequity of um, household labor which you you also talk about in the book. Um, I think you pretty much start the book off there, right? That like, it's not just the dishes, right? It is that we are thinking about all of the things that we have to manage. And then in the midst of all of the things that we're managing, you're just walking in and putting a dish by the sink. And we're like, "Ah!" (laughs)
1: right? Mm -hmm. With some derpy derp soundtrack in our head. Like, I I, I have no idea what... (laughs) What's happening? But I, I promise you it's less chaotic and stressful, probably. Uh-huh. Not, I don't want to speak for everybody. But in this like average typical, mm-hmm. so to speak relationship, then, yes, then the way I imagine visually like the busy wife and mother of two or three kids that's trying to carry all all of the responsibilities of the CEO of the household, so to speak, that she didn't want and didn't sign up for, but sort of got defaulted into, because if she doesn't manage it, it won't get managed. If she doesn't do it, it won't get done. Right. Not only does she resent right, having to do these things, but she doesn't even, so many guys are like, if you just ask me to do it, I'll do it. And we opt out of shared management of these things. It's like, why is it our wives and girlfriends jobs to be like orchestra, like the person orchestrating all the things? Like, I don't, I don't understand. But again, I think it goes back to that whole like man thing. I think a lot of it, honestly, is just we observed our grandmothers and our mothers. Sure. If, If people are, I'm 43. I was born in 1979 in a small town. Yeah. That's what I saw was my mom taking care of my mom magically. When I opened drawers and I opened my closet, everything was smelled great, looked great, and was there for me. And that was my entire life. And until I moved out.
0: And And she was. Did she ever remarry? Because she, she, you got. She did. Okay. Because your parents parents got
1: remarried. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, your parents got divorced when you were four years old. So the fact that she was managing all of that too, right, as a divorced woman, you know, that's crazy impressive. Yeah. Well, my mom's
1: my mom's the oldest of eight who grew up on a forty-three acre farm. That wasn't like a working farm. Let's not imagine like milking cows and stuff. But there was still a lot of shit to do. And and being the oldest, she like fell into that like quasi mom role. Mm, and yeah 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 and so anyway i think that she didn't know any different sure and so she would just like bend over backwards to do stuff and i love her for it and she's wonderful but she failed blind spot for mom failed to calculate for what like a shit life partner i was going to be someday having not developed like the mental and or literal physical domestic household skills and i imagine a lot of women find themselves married to guys like that on a case-by-case basis
0: Oh I mean absolutely absolutely and you talk about this in your book as the incompetency model for children right when when their dads are like oh I don't know how to do this this is not you know this isn't my domain or whatever your mom's better at that then like kids think number 1 they think they can get away with stuff by pretending to be right do it badly my son does this all the time I don't know about yours my son does this all the time he's 16 and a half and he'll just like I'll be like you, you know do the dishes whatever you know and and then he'll just do it really badly and think that he can get away with like, well, if I do it badly, then she'll never make me do it again. And, you know, unfortunately, he has me as a mom who's like, yeah. get your ass back in here.
1: And actually do the job. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and actually do the job. Good for All the dishes you are in him. the sink, but the sink is a disgusting mess. It also requires wiping yeah. out the sink, right?
1: Hopefully he'll learn to apply this someday. I I forgive him at 16. But hopefully someday he'll learn to apply this to shared domestic life. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just, I think one of the biggest ideas for me is that the quality of our lives, like the number one correlated metric to quality of life is the quality of our closest human relationships. And so if they're suffering, everything feels bad. You can have a lot of money and a nice car and a bunch of cool friends and all that's great. But if like our the people that we share like our lives with, that we intertwine our lives with, if that's really stressful and really painful and really awful, everything sucks. And I just wish people would be very mindful of that idea, A. And then B become mindful of the fact that a bunch of little things that we're not paying attention to are often the culprit in causing these strained, like bad relationships. And yeah, anyway, that's right, as you know, I'm just trying to be the guy that's like, hey, pay attention to all this stuff you're not paying attention to. It matters. <laughs>
0: Well, and your voice is so important. And I mean, honestly, it really is, because I think that there are not enough people talking to there's a lot of men, I think, talking to men about dating and like how to be a better dude, and like, you know, Mark and Brian Reeves and like all of the people, all of all the guys that we follow, right? They're 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 doing wonderful jobs in like the man space. But I think this specific, and you know, maybe maybe it's just me because I'm a divorce coach and I'm in the divorce world all the time, but I think that the voice about how do we stop this, like midstream, how do men show up as better partners? Because that's what we want, right? And I love that you distinguish in the book, right, between they're good people can be bad spouses, right?
1: So important to me. Yes, it is. men, Men show up so defensively. And I think it's because they interpret the negative feedback as like a character attack or a criticism about who they are. It's not a right. referendum on who you are. It's mm-hmm. it's the same way that if a teacher is like, "Hey, you could perform the science experiment more effectively. Here's how." Or a coach, "You can run this football play or this basketball play more effectively. Here's how." Or a boss at work, "You can perform this job function more effectively. Here's how." And right? Maybe yeah. it goes back to that inherent disrespect Where I'm not going to elevate my romantic partner, wife or girlfriend, to the same level of respect I had for my teacher, for my coach, for my boss. But I do believe, like, mechanically speaking, it's an identical thing. It's knowledge and skill building. That's right. Truly. That is. And that might seem like really annoying to like a lot of women where this is sort of like built into their lives and they suffer. I mean, it seems like really stupid, but I really do think there's a lot of guys and I don't mean they don't know. A lot of people would probably think it's like willful incompetence. It's truly like no one has ever communicated that this matters so much for your future happiness. We've communicated that your physical health and that your financial health and that your ability to gain knowledge and skills in the workplace are so critical to your future, not sucking and to staying out of prison and to having a life that like everybody's going to feel good about. Those values are implanted and instilled in us from like a really young age. But like, it doesn't seem like anybody says these relational skills will be extremely important for yeah. you to have a successful home life, which is imperative for all this other shit that we're talking about to actually matter. We don't. Yeah. And I, we, I to me, that's gotta be the end game. But we've gotta change that societal condition if this is ever to be different. And I don't pretend right. to know what that looks like, but I'd love to be like the tiniest part of it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You and me both. Yeah. Like, great. You taught me trigonometry. That's so awesome. Thank you for that. <laughs> but, but I have no idea how to be in a relationship, right?
1: We, uh, right. Our education's watching our parents and most of them weren't awesome at it either. Not, and, and not because they're jerks. No one taught them. It's like, we just keep inheriting not knowing how to do this stuff. We're going to take a
0: quick break to hear from our sponsor today. For over a decade, I've helped divorcing moms put their children at the center of all of their decisions. So whenever I hear about moms struggling to co-parent with an ex that abuses alcohol, I have one system in mind, Soberlink. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure to download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for High Conflict Divorces, visit Soberlink.com slash DSG. And now back to our show. But I think what's interesting too, is that I think there's been such an enormous cultural shift in the years since our parents were doing this in the seventies and, you know, and the way that we've been doing, you know, we are doing it now that like that model really doesn't work the model that they were given from the the forties and fifties to the like sixties, seventies. Right. That was like, eh, it, 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 it wasn't the same. Right. But it kind of, it, you know, it kind of worked, but this overlay now it's completely out of whack.
1: Right.
0: I mean, it was probably out of whack in the seventies too, but I don't know.
1: So I always tell this story. I live in a house (laughs) that was built in 1950 and until I built a new garage, it only had one car garage when I bought it. Mm-hmm. And it's because in 1950, the average family home consisted of like dad, mom, and two or three kids. And dad, you only needed one car because right. only one person commuted to work every day. Right. And that was like, right. That mm-hmm. Every house around like this neighborhood, if they didn't upgrade their garage is just this like single car garage. And which isn't a great selling point in a home in today's society, which I think like more or less, but in the context of people, I mean, women are so different in terms of i think the default was in 19 i don't know you know this better than i do from like a sociology standpoint but i don't know when it went from i'm going to get married and i'm going to have children and i'm going to care for my family in the home mm-hmm. and that is my vision i know i know not everybody thought that yeah. even yeah. back yeah. in the day but that was a very common refrain of young women particularly from areas like where i'm from where only right. 20 25000 people lived at some point along the way women collectively were like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like, I want to be a doctor and a CEO and I want to make documentary films and Mm -hmm. I want to teach, you know, college courses, whatever, all the incredible things that like, you know, women have done. It's Mm -hmm. to just get out of this, like, I don't know, male dominated sort of society that I think we used to have that I think there's still like you get to tell me there's still a lot of like negative consequences of that residual, including what we're talking about in shared domestic lives. But that like on a macro level, I think everybody I don't know. I feel like like my son is 13 and I hope your Uh son, too, does not have any of those sexist blind spots. I I don't think my son does.
0: I, I, it's so great to watch them, isn't it? All of them. Now, I mean, I live in LA, so where it's a lot much, you know, it's a very, you know, total, you know, liberal, whatever. Um, but to, so I don't know what the kids are doing in like where you grew up, but I will say that like these kids, they're all gender fluid. They're all, not all of them, but there's, there's just so much acceptance and like, it's not a big deal. And we let people do this and then they come back to this and then they go like, and it's all fluid and it's so cool. It's so cool to watch.
1: I love the, one of my favorite things in life given my work today Mm -hmm. is that person's different than me, but it doesn't make it wrong. That's right. That's such a profound idea that again, where I'm from and there's a lot of places like where I'm from, that hold on, that retain this notion that different is bad, that different is wrong and it's really yeah. dangerous and it causes a lot of societal ills and it definitely f's up our interpersonal relationships when we don't allow other humans to own like their lived experiences. And that right. is my marriage in a nutshell. My marriage in a nutshell was my wife wasn't allowed to think what she th- thought or feel what she felt and then feel loved and supported by me when she shared that with me if I disagreed with her. Is I think at its core? the dynamic in the relationship that killed us. And I just did it over time. And she kept just trying to be seen and heard like, Hey, I'm an actual human that thinks and feels different shit than you. I wish, I don't know if there was like a magical way for her to like, have a different vocabulary about it. If she might've been able to break through, Mm. I I don't know. Or if like I go back in time, 10, 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. and I literally speak to my younger self and I say the stuff that I say today, I truly don't have any idea if I would have done anything different or not. Because at the end of the day, I had to hurt to feel right. compelled to, to, I had to feel very uncomfortable in my life to want to do something different to reachieve comfort. Right. And right. And this was my, this was the path.
0: And it's so great. Right. Cause you know, your, your sort of story, right. Is that you, you started this blog because of therapy, because you reached out to a, like an online or telephone therapist. Right. Who was like, I think you should write. You should, you should sort of get your feel. Cause you were so angry. You were so like bitter and pissed off about this, and devastated and torn I apart. Was. And then you started writing this blog, and it was through the writing that you actually were able to evolve this your experience and understanding.
1: It truly, I, I've I've heard people say, I, "I there's a famous quote. I don't remember who said it. I don't know what I think until I write it down." And it's it's brilliant. Yeah. And and I, that's not how I experience it, but I get it though because the process the process forces a lot of like introspection Mm -hmm. and it was so great and no. And then there's, there's so much value in the feedback that the internet provides. You know, Mm -hmm. people used to just write and sometimes nobody would see it or you'd send it out into the world. And there was like no really way for anybody to like provide feedback. But with the internet, people were able to, in real time say, Hey Matt, this feels a lot like my life. Here's this other way to think about it. Or, hey, the way that you're starting to talk about this sounds a lot like Terry Reel's work, sounds a lot like John Gottman's work, sounds a lot like Marshall, Mm -hmm. I think it's Rosenberg, who wrote Nonviolent Communication. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm not getting his name Mm -hmm. wrong. And right. right, And right. It was like, so then I have these resources that get to follow up and like figure out what the psych community, what the academia community like has discovered about these things that like I'm talking about and like what I always think of as regular guy speak. Yes. And I just try to bridge that gap between like the textbook version and the way that I like to say it.
0: Yes. And I think that's great because I do think that there is, there is this sort of like heightened intellectualism about some of the, the, you know, the, the works that you that you're named. Right. And your approach and your writing is so accessible and makes so much sense that, you know, I think it is, it can be more transformative. Right. I'm not going to read this tome on, you know, the science of relationships, but I'm going to hear this dude talking who sounds like me and feels like me. I can get with that.
1: It's a Except really that, kind way to say that I'm infinitely dumber than all of those brilliant guys. and people like in that space, true. however, but no, but, but it has merit. Like I was a journalist, yeah. I was a journalist and they say, write for an eighth grade audience mm-hmm. and it has power and, and Hemingway held up as one of the finest writers. And it was like, simplify, simplify, simplify. And like mm-hmm. that's why he didn't yeah. string together a bunch of like crazy pseudo intellectual flowery sentences. He just said it in the most efficient way possible. I definitely don't do that. I definitely <laughs> <like>, obviate <laughs> on some level. Brevity is not my strong suit, but I really do try. I try to say it how we would say it if we were having whiskey together at a bar. Like, and that that really does break through for a lot of people. I think particularly guys. If we're going to be stereotyping a little bit, like guys, quote unquote, like me. And that doesn't mean we're the same dude at all because nobody is, but where they maybe grew up with the same beliefs I had, and then they find themselves having the same conflict patterns with their relationship partner. And then sometimes he or she will discover my work and say, wow, this is exactly like what we were experiencing. And this seems to be a more effective methodology for communicating it to him than forgive me for implying that my book's somehow superior to like I'm not Gottman or Real or any of these guys. (laughs) It's not better. It's just different and sometimes different to useful because somebody will pay attention to different maybe if they won't pay Mm attention to the superior, actually smart people stuff.
0: I think you're right. And it's like, also like the Gottman books, those books are like the ones that their wives like put on their nightstand and are like, you need to read this. And then they're like, you know, I'm not reading that. Fuck you. <laughs> <You're right. laughs>
1: yeah, it's Basically what I did, I just didn't say that. I didn't literally right? say it, but I yeah. behaviorally did it.
0: Right, did. right. Cause you didn't read it. So basically I what you're saying you, is fuck I you. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't read the baby books. Yep. And I didn't read the relationship books. She only yeah. asked me, she only asked me a couple of times. She asked me to read five love languages.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She asked me to read men Are from Mars, women from Venus, which I don't love because I don't like the like male, female Mars, Venus dichotomy, but, yeah. but it, it would have been useful. It would have been, even yeah. though like I reject that framing now.
0: I think, it, yes, I think it's out. It's outdated now. It
1: is, but it, yeah. I think it accidentally represented us because mm-hmm. we fit that like total heteronormative like vibe. So it might've worked. But the point was, I didn't read it, even though she asked me to. It was bad.
0: And that's such a huge complaint that we all have, that we read all the books. Of and course. then when we when we ask you to read the books and then you don't read the books, so then we like cliff notes them for you and we tell you things, then we're being nagging and and bossy and controlling.
1: Every man that's like, <laughs> I'm not buying your shit book. I deserve it. It's my penance for like not reading those books yeah. in my marriage. That's honestly yeah. <laughs> how I feel about it.
0: So, okay. You identify in your book two four key relationship skills. So we have um, relationship skill. Number one, choosing safety and trust over being right.
1: So I have already at this point in the book talked about this idea, like a couple of different times, and mm-hmm. I've been accused of being repetitive, but the people that say that default to validating empathetic responses in their life. I know they do. And they don't understand. I really think they have a blind spot to the fact that there's a lot of guys out there like me that the way to learn is to have ideas that they've not thought about before reinforced for them. And so this was, this is me being defensive, of course, but it needs to be said. And I also think there's a different way to think about it. We need to think about like the mechanics of what we're doing when we're invalidating people.
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: just think if you can mentally choose, I want the quality of my relationship, I want, I want, how my wife feels about me to be increased and improved. And for us to move closer together after I say or do whatever I'm about to say or do, I think that idea serves us so well mm-hmm. in a relationship. It, it usurps or like governs our decision-making. And I won't, if I'm being my best self say and do things exactly like I always did, which resulted in disconnection and my wife being angry with me. And so like, but it's just like, can you become mindfully aware? of mm-hmm. the math result of the way you speak and act and how that lands on someone else. So, yes, I think that's like a really critical idea to become super self-aware and and, and be responsive to how people are experiencing us. I never thought about stuff like that before. Right. right. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous.
0: No, no, period. it's well, it's, it's well, and I think most people don't. Right. So I think it's yeah, very absolutely. important. Okay. So relationship skill number two, know your partner almost as well as you know yourself
1: another borderline repeat thing, because I talk about in my coaching work, this habit of consideration. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so critical that we are constantly, all the time as a default setting, mathematically calculating for how the people we love experience us much in the way I just sort of alluded to. And in order to do that successfully, we have to know them. And I don't mean know them like familiar with them because we've been around each other for 20 years. I mean, I have to be able to predict with accuracy how you're going to feel when I leave that dish by the sink. When I leave the toilet seat up, when I leave the, the pair of jeans in the bedroom, or any number of things I might do or not do, mm-hmm. if I truly am blind to how that will affect you, which is what I'm claiming in my marriage, by the way, and I, I swear I, I mean it. It's it's honest. I don't oh, mean yeah. claiming like I might be lying about it. I mean I really do claim ignorance. I didn't I didn't connect the dish by the sink with this like hurtful. Like abandoning, I care about me more than you thing that happens to people. I have to know that. Right. Like I have to know. I have to know that when I get my wife yellow gold instead of white gold, which she preferred, that even though I got her this nice thing, might feel a little bad. That's right. And I haven't told that story very many times. I told it on like one podcast, I think. But I used to do that. Right. Because I thought white gold was stupid because white gold looks like silver. And I'm like, silver is a crappier precious metal than gold. I want people to know that you have like legitimate, like nice shit. And so I would buy her like yellow gold things. And I, it's just me and it, and again. Was, yeah, right. Letting yeah. people like own yes. their experiences. I have no idea why my values always had to win. So anyway, that you have to know, you have to be able to predict with accuracy how as life's happening around you, how events and yourself are impacting the people you love. And the only way to anticipate their needs so that safety and trust can exist is if we know them in a really nuanced way, in a way we know our, our hobbies and, and, and professions that we invest the most time, effort, and energy in. Whatever right. we have the most skill in in life, can we apply that same process to knowing our relationship partner?
0: So, so, so true and so good. Okay. Relationship skill number three, differentiating between character flaws and habits.
1: I, I would like Wives girlfriends whoever romantic partners to somebody's hurt and somebody's the person who did the thing that hurts mm-hmm. i want the person who's hurt mm-hmm. to think of the reason they're hurt not as the intentional actions of an abuser unless unless it is in which case right. i really would like people to love themselves and try hard to in a healthy way escape that situation but but most of the time right it's like this like accidental wound right. as That's as i right. describe it in the book right um and then the person who did it, I don't want them to think I'm a trash person. I hurt my wife. I guess I'm just a, a, a bad human being. Or even worse, I'm going to get really defensive because I know I'm not a bad person. And so I'm not going to allow like this feedback about my behavior. I'm not going to accept it because it sounds like I'm being attacked. I'm just going to defend myself and invalidate them. When we differentiate between the idea of, of a character defect versus a habit and realize the math result can be the same. We talked about it earlier. Narcissism.
0: Mm-hmm. 5%
1: mm-hmm. of people, ballpark are narcissists, people that are with them will feel like they're dating a narcissist or married to a narcissist. Some huge other percentage of people will be dating or married to people that aren't narcissists. But the math result of the shit this guy does, people just like me, <laughs> will feel virtually identical. To being married to or dating a narcissist. And that's what I want people to accept responsibility for. If we're going to claim to truly love our relationship partner. And I do claim, I assert strongly that I loved my relationship partner that, but I did not accept responsibility for the quote unquote math results of my actions of my behavior. And I was so busy defending my character that I didn't think about my habits that I didn't think about my actions I can't change my character. I'm just me. I mean, I think maybe. And I'm a good person,
0: right? You talk about how it was like, you were like, your your defense was like, I'm a good person. I'm not trying to hurt you. As opposed to, oh, you're hurting. It has nothing to do with me being a good person or not. It's something that I did that hurts you.
1: It's the math result of this thing. Yeah. So how about I do Mm -hmm. a different thing now? Because I would never want you to be hurt. Because I, I want you to be able to trust me. I want you to know you can count on me. I want you to know that even though I don't try to hurt you on purpose, I'm still going to be a safe, trusting, supportive person when you're hurt by accident. I'm still going to accept responsibility for that. I want to know about it. Please tell me. Because right. I never want you to feel that because of something I'm doing or not doing. Like, yeah. And that's just this massive shift in like my mindset and my behavior from who I was 15 years ago in my marriage.
0: Yeah. And because the, and again, the math result is like, if I'm saying to you, something you're doing is hurting me and your response is I'm, I'm a good person and I don't mean to be hurting you. So you shouldn't be hurt. Then actually what I now feel is that you actually don't care about me, that I'm actually not
1: important to you. I because, care more about my feelings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, obviously. Huh. No, I mean, so, I think that's true. Yeah. Even though we like still sort of philosophically claim. To like truly love the other person, it's it's a minefield.
0: You can say that over and over and over again, but yeah, if I don't feel it, it doesn't matter. I
1: strongly agree.
0: So, okay. Relationship's number four, arguing or criticizing effectively. How do we do that?
1: Yeah. And so for me, it piggybacks on that very idea. If I recognize that somebody's like character isn't the thing, that it's a habit thing, I think I'm going to disassociate character from the conversation. Um, But, but no, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm just remembering, I'm remembering that chapter now, more specifically, there's like this, like four-step process that Daniel Dennett outlines as being an effective way to, to like disagree with somebody. Mm -hmm. And, and he makes the case in his book that I can't like name off the top of my head. It's like intuition pumps and other tools for thinking something like that, where he says in a disagreement with somebody else, in a debate with somebody else, the aim should not be to conquer But to arrive at truth, can our goal when we're having a disagreement be for us to mutually arrive at truth together? I know that that's what I want today. I do not value winning, especially if I'm like wrong afterward, especially if I believe some like trash thing that's going to actually cause me more harm or keep me ignorant, you know, whatever. I absolutely want to be corrected if I'm mistaken about something. And I think I have the humility at age 30, uh, excuse me, 43 today. (laughs) to show up effectively in a relationship, whereas this, I was so certain in my correctness. And then he goes through the four steps and and I I can't name them, but I think just philosophically, it's so critical to think about arriving at truth together. But I know the first one is the the ability to make someone else's argument for them so clearly and so concisely that they actually thank you for putting it in such like a great, simple, easy to understand way. And I make this point all the time in relationships. I don't think, and it goes back to like knowing our partner. It really truly goes back to that section on knowing our partner. I don't think we can sit in front of like a marriage counselor most of the time, the royal we, and tell Mm -hmm. the story of our marriage from our partner's perspective and say, this is what she or he feels day in and day out. This is how they experience Our marriage, this is how they feel. This is how this thing 10 years ago factors into it. This is how my behavior today and my habits and my words roll downhill and affect them. And then we say that out loud to this stranger. And then the person agrees. They're like, holy shit, they totally get me. Like that never happens. We
0: never happens. That's right. Know Mm -hmm.
1: how to effectively accurately convey the experience of someone else in a way that they say, absolutely. And if we can do that two things happen. One, we know our partners effectively enough to meet their needs in real time. But two, they can trust us because they know we're capable of doing that. Because even if we're really good people, if they can't trust us to even know what feels good or feels bad to them, how can they trust us to meet like needs in real time? It doesn't matter how awesome someone's character is. If the math result of shit they do hurts you, you're going to question your desire to be with them. And I think it makes a lot of sense to do that if you have a yeah. healthy sense of self-love and respect.
0: And I also think that I think one of the barriers to people being able to do that, or even, you know, wanting to do that is that if I put myself in my partner's shoes and I express what it must be like to be in this relationship with me, then I've lost and they've won. Right. Because right. Because now if I'm able to empathize or say what it's like to be in a relationship, then I'm actually admitting something right that I'm giving up my my power or my control in this relationship dynamic. So it becomes about winning or losing as opposed to, as you said, arriving at truth.
1: That's no, that makes yeah, sense. I'm just not smart enough to have thought about it that way before. I think it's <laughs> I think it's brilliant, but I also and I, and right, I, I can't remember me. 10 to 15 years ago. I, I can't, I want to right. desperately, but I can't. And so right. the the truth is I don't know how to remember the degree to which I don't remember me as being somebody that would say, yeah, I definitely want to just win at the expense of my wife. I mean, true, oh, sure. I don't think it's damned. conscious. Yeah. Okay. Right, thank you. Right. So,
0: I don't think it's conscious. Yeah, no, it's not a conscious thing. Right. But it's a, I think it's a fear of letting go of my perspective because uh, you know, it's a loss of identity like, or it's a loss of, right? Like, I think that it shows feels up like a competition.
1: Religion and politics that shows up so strongly, right? Like yes. the people uh-huh, that right. are clinging to the beliefs, which I'm not trying to begrudge, by the way, people are allowed to think all the things, but there's a real danger in different is bad. And that really goes back again to yeah. my upbringing from a sociopolitical way.
0: Right. I brought all yes. of that into my marriage. And we do, right? We bring ourselves and our histories and, you know, all of that. that. That makes sense. And we have to be conscious of how that impacts our relationships and other people.
1: If we want to have successful ones with trust, I absolutely think so. I try to say that I don't want this to be like some moral imperative that I don't think people are obligated to do the things that I espouse in order to like be a decent person. I just want to caution people that I think if you're not mindful of these things, if you don't practice healthy relationship habits, life's going to get really hard and unpleasant for you. And you get to decide for yourself the degree to which you value that.
0: This answers your question. And this is the reason why so many women that I work with or my followers my Facebook group and people are like, I finally told him I wanted a divorce and he was completely blindsided. And I've been telling him for like decades. And now he's like totally blindsided and now he'll do anything. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but we literally have been laugh. telling him for years. I don't mean to yeah, laugh. It's no, not right? funny.
1: It's not. It's not funny. All the suffering. The wives underwent and the breakup of the families. And I feel really sorry for the guys because That's even right. though it sounds insane, totally insane. I mean, I lived it and it's awful. If, if they truly had similar sort of psychological and emotional experiences I did,
0: I think most of them do, it was Matt.
1: really I awful.
0: Do. Yeah. I, I always talk about this. Like I want men, like I love men. I want them to have better experiences of their relationships. And I want them to have more connectivity and all of those things. Right. And I, this is not anti-male, but like, oh my gosh, like this is so important to your happiness and to not being blindsided.
1: Yeah. I believe it so strongly. And again, going back to, I think we raise our kids and, 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 and boys even in a more dangerous way with the added notion of you've got to be tough. uh, You can't appear weak. Um, and that's even taught in terms of like attraction, and there might even be something there that like you understand on a level that I don't, where there's like some sort of competing ideas. I mean, I, I do think somebody that appears mm-hmm. hypersensitive or weak or something like that might be less attractive than on some level. There, there's like the right. there's like the raw primal dating sexual attraction, needs- and right. then there's mm-hmm. the what is the thing that I crave in order to feel like secure in my life. And, right. and, and I do think that men get a lot of mixed messages about what that looks like. I mean, exactly. I really believe the truth lives in the middle. I don't think we need to Agreed. be, um, not to, not to belittle in, like, in, in, in male chauvinistic terms, we don't need to be effeminate in order to Because I don't think there's anything wrong with femininity, right? I think it's like a spectrum. Right. And we need like bits of the so-called masculine and feminine in order to show up in a healthy way and be attractive in a relationship. That's
0: right. Um, That's absolutely right. Yeah.
1: And I just, I don't mean be like whatever word is like in your head, person out there listening that thinks it's compromising masculinity or manhood or anything like that. I, I, I promise I'm not an advocate for any of that. Really not, but it's just the math result of the things you say and do have to equal safety and trust for your romantic partner. I don't care how attractive you are with your shirt off and how good you are in bed and how much money you have; it's gonna go away. Like they're not gonna want to be with you if the math results pain. And so, right. like That's right. you can be a very attractive human being and wildly successful academically or, or career-wise, but can we also develop skills? designed to keep human beings connected and, and 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 have the requisite amount of trust so that people aren't spending like such a high percentage of their life anxious about what their partner thinks and feels about them when we're not together and I don't know we waste so much time right feeling bad oh because of a bunch of shit that amounts to a misunderstanding and I think right. it's a really tra- it's really tragic
0: it is yeah. tragic it is okay, matt so your book, This is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. It's out now, right? It certainly is. It is out now, and it's available in all the places. All the
1: places in North America and the United Kingdom. It comes out in Australia in June, and then we have it in, I don't know how many of your listeners are in Germany, Italy, or the Netherlands, but it's being translated into those three languages, which is cool, which is really flattering and exciting.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Matt, it was such a pleasure to have you on. I love this conversation. I love the work you're doing. I think it's so important. And I just, yeah, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I hope that this isn't the last time.
0: Hell no. Let's do it again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time, and until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.